episode of Setting the Tone, and in our retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 7, Episode 17, which is titled Survival of the Fittest. The episode aired on March 29th, 2001. Lauren, what was going on that week 21 years ago? Uh, first, I'm going to ask, do we know why there was such a huge skip? Uh, they seem to always take kind of a little break in March after okay. sweeps. Uh, I would expect it probably has something to do with getting out of the way of the March Madness tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But that's the best thing I can come up with. You're right. I wasn't even thinking about that. How Shame on me. Yeah, four uh, weeks in between last week's and this week's. Yep. Yeah. With that being said, Russia's Mir space station, the first ever modular laboratory in space, is allowed to break up in Earth's atmosphere after being replaced by the International Space Station. Suck it, Russians. Jesus Christ. Uh, at the 74th Annual Academy Awards, Gladiator takes home Best Picture with Roussel Croet and Julia Ro- Robert. Yeah, Julia Robert. Uh, I'm kidding. It's Russell Crowe and Julia Roberts, but we now just know I can't say names. Uh, take home the Best Actor and Actress trophies. New movies over the break include The Mexican, Enemy at the Gates, and Exit Wounds. However, the comedy movie Heartbreakers debuts this week and takes the box office crown. Daniel, you are shaking your head. Just like, uh, oh, I, despite being an actual person who was alive during this time, I am 0 for 4 on any of those yep. movies. Like, never heard of any of them. Enemy of the Gates is in my watch queue. But, but almost everything is in your watch queue at some point. Shh. It's it's like just, a rite of passage. Just because I'm binging West Wing doesn't mean... It makes me so happy. Uh, and, oh, I just, anything to not talk about this next one. Butterfly by Crazy Town is the new number one song after Stutter completes a four-week run atop the charts. I am so sorry, everyone, for what Daniel had to put on the playlist. Yeah. But, Daniel, what else was on? That did not make me happy adding that song. Uh, What else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with Joey's Award. At 8.30, the show that simply will not die, Cursed, uh, which... I have thought it was canceled like three times over by now, but still persists uh, with the episode. And then the sex freaked Jack out. I don't understand their thing, and I am ready for this show to die again. Some offshoot of Fight Club. At 9 p.m., Will and Grace with the episode Poker. I don't even like her. They really, (laughs) they went all out with the episode titles tonight, gang. They really did. Uh, And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode Erlene and Boo. This week's episode had 24.4 million viewers tuning in, directed by Marita Grabiak, doing his, or doing her, I should say, doing her second of two. Uh, previous one of hers was Viable Options, and written by Joe Sachs, doing her, doing his, goddamn, pronouns tonight, goddamn. Uh, Joe Sachs, doing his 11th out of 35. Previous ones of his from this season included Thy Will Be Done, Surrender, and Flight of Fancy. Hey. Previously, I was brought to us by Romano yet again. Was it last week? I think yeah. so. As well. It's, it's rare that they do it the same one back to back. Call that a twofer. Uh, but we opened the episode, a woman's yelling about needing to be let go from the ER. She seems very disoriented. And Cleo asks Benton to look after her. She's an elderly black woman. Uh, yeah, Cleo asks Benton to look at her because she hasn't been eating. So she thinks it might be something surgical. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And she is an elderly black woman we have seen before. Uh, She uh, was our lady from the coffee shop in, I believe, Mm -hmm. the season six premiere that uh, asked if she could uh, touch Carol's belly. 
uh, yeah, but moments before a truck plowed through the door of the coffee shop and ran her down. So she may be, spoilers for later in the episode, she may be the only person in the history of the show to not only appear on the show twice, but die on the show twice. Whoa. Like She may be the only actress that we've, we will have in the entire 15 season run. We'll have to keep, keep uh, an eye out for this. It, plenty of people we've seen who've shown up more than once, but I don't think we've ever seen somebody die twice the way that this lady has. Hmm. So... We go into Carter chasing after a little boy named Simon, and the little boy runs and hides in the supply closet, bumping into Abby, and he was running away from getting his blood drawn, and Abby then goes back with Carter to try to assist, and Carter is terrible with children in this episode. I was this little boy when I was <laughs> when I was young. I seem to, I seem to I remember doing similar things. terrified of getting any shots. If you were gonna come anywhere near my near my blood, I was gonna scream my head off and run in the bathroom and refuse to come out of the bathroom. And yeah, it was make a scene in the doctor's office. Meanwhile, my avoidant personality thought pretending to fall asleep would keep me from having to deal with any problems. <laughs> uh, good thing that hasn't continued. Nope, not at all. But um. There's, there's so much to unpack with that whole thing. But, um, so while Abby is trying to assist, uh, Yosh actually grabs Abby because he's got like a cut on his face. He's holding up a bandage to his head and there's a patient yelling and kicking and screaming with his face covered and Luca bursts in the shining knight in armor that he is to give some Haldol. So this patient will calm down. And right after he injects this patient, the sheet is removed and it turns out to be Malucci. They were trying to pull an April Fool's joke. Yeah, not very funny. And then he goes, "Was that Haldol?" I mean, yes, it, it was. This, you deserve the, this. The, the, you the, April, the April Fool's joke in and of itself is not very funny, but at least it does lead to some very funny yeah. moments for the rest of the episode. But I also want to point out here, Luca just administered that without checking the patient's history or anything. Like, didn't look at the chart, didn't know anything about this guy. He was just like, let me just shoot him up with some of this. Like, I mean, he saw that Abby might... I, I know. He I thought know. The, the people in the room were in danger. I know, but I'm just saying, let me complain about pedantic <laughs> shit. And then we're in with Bangs. And uh, after we, the intro, Carrie's rallying the troops and because the ER is slammed. I mean, when is it ever not, except for extreme weather days? I don't know, but they wanted to highlight it here. Yeah. Uh, she yells at them for wasting time with pranks and tells Malushi to go take a nap and sleep off the drugs. <laughs> I really like um, the... There's a couple of different cinematography things in this episode that I really liked, and the first of which being that first shot of uh, Carrie right underneath mm -hmm. the board. Like, the board is, like, just at the top of the frame, and you're kind of looking down from the, the board's perspective onto Out Carrie. Out Admit. Yeah, and it's just, like, a really... It's a neat angle that I don't think we've seen before, and I don't know how many times we'll see it again. Um, but I really did, like, like the way that, that whole thing looked. And I also, you know, it it's kind of mean, but also kind of harmless. I did, like, the cans around the cane. Like, I thought that was a... <laughs> like, I thought that was a solid bit. How'd like, they even manage it? That's what I want to know. So I don't know, and I and I like sleepy, disoriented Malucci, like asleep on his hand, like just uh, trying to maintain. You mean my face at the beginning of every recording night? Yes, yes. If we could just bottle that and put it on a plaque, that would be that would be Lauren. Oh boy! But we see uh, Carter uh, sees Rena blowing bubbles with Simon and his mom, 
the apparently one of the nurses called her down to help uh, with uh, Simon's tough blood draw. And so Carter comes over ostensibly to try again with Simon, Ugh. but also to figure out why she's there. And he's still trying to like do his like tough guy act where he's like, no, oh, we're just going to hold this kid down and like do what we have to do. And she, you know, tells both Carter and Malik, you know, don't hold him still just like take the softer approach. Like she tell, tells him to, you know, blow the bubbles, you know, through the pain. And like, she, she does a really good job of like getting him through. Uh, so it's just a, it's a good little moment for her here. Uh, and we see an excellent little camera transition where the, your, your POV is looking at Carter and Rena and that whole situation. And then a, a supply cart comes through the frame. And in the midst of the supply cart coming through the frame, they do a camera swap over to now your POV is looking at Abby on the other side, watching them do this whole thing and it was just a really like slick little transition and i was just really really impressed by it like again it's yet another one of those things that like i don't know how often we've seen that before but we i don't know that we will see it very much going forward either so it seems like they're like kind of playing with some cinematography Mm -hmm. things this episode uh we see a man being brought in with a gunshot wound a patient's name is eddie and lauren whose films are those a uh there's the, the woman from earlier the elderly woman is uh heard screaming for her purse uh and uh back at the admit desk carter compliments randy's outfit and it both randy and us as viewers find ourselves completely perplexed by this we're just like why like <laughs> what's wrong with you what are you hoping to accomplish here it's yeah. like he's trying to assert that he's a normal masculine man by hitting on someone closer to his own age maybe that's what it's it still is gross Espe- yeah especially because it is in front of abby so it is somewhat performative where yeah. he's like trying to prove a point here of like no i'm not just exclusively dating teenagers i can hit on somebody my own age uh more about more on that later uh and abby of course is giving carter a hard time for his moodiness regarding the whole rena situation now school bus is being brought into the ambulance bay the bus driver Bushover brought a kid and who's having an asthma attack. There's some fumes on the bus that are making kids sick, and they have to keep them outside until they're cleared because they have no idea what it could be. Yeah. Could be hazardous. Who knows? And now, just this might have been the teacher too, not the bus driver. I could have missed. Either way, an adult an brings adult. the bus in. Uh, but then Mark is surprised that Lizzie is doing surgery on Eddie. He expected Benton to be up in the OR, not Lizzie. Because Lizzie's very pregnant and just came off bed rest. Like, what the fuck? Um, we see the kids all filing off the bus. And, of course, the kids in the back are making fun of Stu, the little asthmatic boy, being absolute. As I tag them this episode, edgelord shitheads. Whew, they really, like, fucking nail these kids, though. They like do. Th- These kids it's... are so believable as the kind of children I went to school with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Also... Four-year shitty kids list. Are we just counting the one that we actually get a little more info on? Give me the pen. Or I would take the whole bus personally. Minus minus uh, the asthmatic kid. Yes, they are spot on for middle school trash bags. Absolute awful humans. Um, and yes, the whole bus. Most of them deserve to be on this list, but we're gonna highlight the shitheads. Um, from there we see Romano relentlessly this episode teasing Lizzie about her size and her pregnancy and everything else. Just real gross. Like just everything out of his mouth. This episode is foul and ridiculous. And I didn't even highlight any of the insults because it's mostly just calling her fat. Yeah. Yeah. So 
but we're not here for that on this show. I'm not going to have it. Um, but then we go over to Benton cleaning up the the cop that got hurt in the confrontation with Eddie. Um, and this is Kenny the cop, played by... Uh, played by actor Derek Webster, who appeared in stuff like Stargate, uh, Independence Day, and Godzilla, the 1998 Matthew Broderick one. Uh, and he has a hundred credits to his name, uh, and I believe that makes him the high water mark person for this episode. I just it just clicked who he was in Independence Day, and that's where I recognized him I... from. He gets blown up in the helicopter. Yeah, he's the, the, the first contact. Yeah, the welcome wagon guy. Daniel, my favorite part of when you do the credits for people is watching the light bulb go off in Lizzie's <laughs> head when it's someone she knows. When someone from the... one of my favorite movies of all time. Yep. Yep. I love you. I had a I had a similar moment watching. I was like, I know I recognize this guy from somewhere, and then I looked at his uh, IMDb, and I was like, Yep, seen that scene about a million times. Fair. Uh, and then we see Carrie is working with Mrs. Howard, trying to get her to calm down and just trying to get her settled. When there's a, lots of things going on, and and at some point, uh, her hair, her the rail is lowered, and the old woman walks away and she walks and grabs the officer who's being sewed up by Benton they grabs his gun yeah grabs Kenny's gun and is still like not she's not compliant when the other cop draws draws her gun on on her and she doesn't respond to request to demands to put the gun down because she's not in her right mind so Clearly, the obvious solution here is to shoot this woman twice in the chest. Yeah, absolutely. Only sensible solution. <laughs> Couldn't do it once. You had to do it twice. Yeah, the twice was a little bit, uh, a little bit much. I mean, it's uh, this whole thing is not great. Like, because there is there is a very like from a, a again from a cinematography standpoint, they they leave a little bit too much plausible deniability in there of there's an entire shot of the woman very slowly very wobbly walking away from the cops with the gun in her hand and her back to the cops and the whole time i'm watching it because the and it's not like nobody's aware of it at this point like the the whole i was watching it like the 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 cop with the hurt arm he's definitely aware of it and the other cop hasn't shown up yet there's definitely a moment where she's no more than like two or three steps for a man his size away. He could have very easily, he's got one arm hurt, so that means he's got one arm that's good. Like, he could have very easily just hustled over there two or three steps, snatched the gun out of her hand or, or knock it or out of her hand. Knock her arm down. Yeah, knock her arm down. Wouldn't have taken very much force to like knock it out and could have avoided the, the whole mess. I mean, you know, I do sort of, I mean, because it's, it, it's, it is, of course, tragic and upsetting that this woman has to be has to die in this situation. But, like, it is slightly different than some of those other horrific stories we've heard about where, like, kids get shot over having, like, toy guns or just toys. Not even toy guns, but just toys, you know, or that they're unarmed completely. I mean, the woman is waving around a loaded firearm in a very crowded ER. I'm not going to say that there was no justification whatsoever for them to and, shoot And her. I'll say the only other thing I'm going to say for Devil's Advocate is they don't know her status. Right, they don't know her status, and two, like, they are trained to shoot at center of mass. Like, it's not like they could just shoot at the gun, or they could shoot at one of her feet, or something to, like, disable her. They're taught, they're they're trained to shoot at center of mass. So, like, from that standpoint, but I do get it. The two shots is overkill. I will 100% grant you that. Two shots is overkill, and you're right. There are so many moments before she pulls that trigger that this could have been de-escalated properly right. without this woman being shot in the chest at all. 
Right. So it's it is a, a messy situation, a hundred percent. And it only gets messier later on when we learn more about her status and right. her condition. Right. So yeah. So we immediately go uh, they bring her into the trauma room to try to stabilize her. They also do, I will say, as much as much uh praise and, and flowers as I have given to the cinematography for this episode, the the like weird pseudo slow mo of the woman falling to the floor where you can for some reason they chose to do that in slow-mo even though the actress herself is very clearly being gently placed on the floor (laughs) like it's it's not a very good looking shot where like the the actress herself is clearly being like either lowering herself or someone is lowering her down onto the floor and they chose to then put a slow-mo filter on top of that which makes it look even stupider and it's like i don't know why you chose to do that that's just odd but yeah, so you know they bring they coming out. I think then, then there's a commercial break. Coming out of the commercial break, there they go immediately into the trauma room. Benton and Carrie are trying to stabilize the old woman. The cops are trying to get their story straight. They kind of like hustle themselves off to the other side of the trauma room. Our uh, firefighters have uh, cleared the bus from contamination out in the ambulance bay. We get our same fire captain from Exodus yes. and other episodes, keeping that continuity going. Uh, Luca and Malucci are taking the kids inside to check on them. Uh, we go back to the trauma room and we get the de- uh. delightful line from, I believe, uh, Benton, that it looks like hamburger in here in reference to the woman's heart. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. A detective is in to take uh, witness accounts of the incident and uh, Carrie is busy answering questions while Benton continues to work. Uh, and this episode just keeps getting better. This is this is all you guys. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Luca's working with one of the girls from the bus. And she asked, do you think the fumes could hurt my baby? These are middle schoolers. Yeah. Mm. Why, why are we good for like one of these a season? Like why I do why do we know. have to have one upsetting teenager pregnancy storyline per I don't season? Know, but she doesn't think she, she has she doesn't know she's pregnant, but she's pretty sure. Or I guess it doesn't have to be teenage pregnancy, but just teenage sex. Like they did the same thing to us last season with the girls from the the sex parties, like with Carol, and it's just like like why like is this like a quota we have to fill like why do we have to have one of these every single season like why do i have to be why must i be locked in this prison with you john wells where i have to like fucking entertain the thought of an eighth grader being pregnant like it's just not my favorite because we need to be reminded that kids and teens have sex i guess but like but also i don't know like the 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 chosen uh I don't know the, the 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 chosen flavor of the week on this one is was like particularly icky. I'm sorry, I'm look, I'm trying. The girl looked really familiar to me, and I oh forgot yeah, she to looked look up who she is. She looked super familiar, and then I looked at her IMDb, and I like looked it up from top to bottom, and I was like, I've never seen any of these things that she's purportedly been in. Maybe I recognized her from this episode and this episode alone, but like something. What was what was her character's name again? Uh, Emily, I believe. Emily. Because now I'm on a rabbit hole. I'll finish my lines and then I'm going to look back at this. Um, then we go over to Laura Becton, who is 23. She's come in. She drove into a fire hydrant. She's got altered consciousness. And they have to go around the ER because part of it is a crime scene now. So they have to wind their way around to get to a trauma room. Real fucking great. Um, we learn Mrs. Howard didn't make it. And Cleo is just hearing about the whole fiasco now. She's like, what the fuck? Why did nobody come get me? And they're like, there wasn't really fucking time. Um, 
we see Carter checking on his new best friend, Stu. I adore Stu. I, he is <laughs> just like an absolute ray of sunshine, and I love him. Um, he asks about the woman who got shot, and talk. they talk about, he and Carter talk about how scared they were. Carter does do a great job with him to balance out how awful he is with Simon. And Stu asks, if you were so scared, why'd you get in front of me? Which absolutely broke my heart and is so sweet. And he's really cagey about what triggered his asthma because they didn't find anything on the bus, like any leaks or anything that would have caused it. So he looks very hesitant to answer this question. Is this the scene where he's got the the nebulizer like held up to his face the whole time? Like he keeps There's going like back and forth. There's two scenes. There's two scenes with that, but like it's it's one of those two scenes was where I had to get the screen shot the screen cap of the face that he's making at the end because it is such a good like that was the meme that i sent you all earlier today like it's it's such a good face of like these edibles ain't shit and then 20 minutes later you're drooling on the floor fun times uh so let's go back up to the surgical floor corday asks shirley to rub her back for her and romano's watching and teasing both of them and apparently corday missed completely missed a portion of the repairs that needed doing and she's getting very flustered with Romano, and she starts crying a tiny bit. And because Romano's being such a sexist asshole in this one, asshole, asshole, you get what I mean. It's a bad. It's a weird day for me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, not his, uh, not his finest hour. This well, I mean, he he pulls up the nose a little bit by the end of the episode, but they they have to really like tear him down to build him back up by the end of the episode. She's the the eight year old the the <laughs> not eight year old eighth grader the, the eighth grader she's in Dante's Peak that's where I recognize she's her from the daughter right yeah she's the daughter mm. of when they solve racism yeah wait no that's volcano oh it is you're right yeah never mind which but I think still- we I think we may have also had the daughter from volcano uh, in an ER episode once before too so you know we're getting all no, Dante's Peak is the sister movie where. You go up to the mountains in Montana or whatever, and yep. it's like, oh yeah, no, Dante's Peak is never gonna. For some reason, for some fine. reason, we have brought up Dante's Peak like four times. Like it's one of those and movies that just continually comes up. I believe you said that the last time we talked about Dante's Peak, which I think was only like three episodes ago. But well, you know I what? digress. I forgot. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, but in any event, uh, we find out that. Uh, or they suspect that some of the kids on the bus might have been huffing solvent to try to get high, uh, which wouldn't show Ooh up on boy. their tox screens uh, because all their tox screens have come back negative so far. Uh, we also overhear that Malucci fell asleep while checking on some of the girls from the bus. I just love that that gag continues throughout the rest of the episode, that Malucci's, you know, high as balls and just trying to But maintain. I love that they say his fan club. Yeah, because he's got these two little girls who will have, like, the most gloriously 2001 wardrobe in just a little bit. I'm so excited to talk about that. Um, But, yeah, just love the running bit with Malucci this episode. Like, at least do stuff like this with him. If if you're not going to do anything interesting with his character, like, background-wise, and if you don't have a Jerry around to do stuff like this with, at least, you know, utilize him in this way. So... Uh, but our our what was what did we call them the trio of shitheads the shithead trio uh, shithead trio edgelord shitheads yeah take your pick point is they're dicks they're all three together in a room joking about uh, thermometers up their butts because twelve year old boys uh, Mark comes in and lies to them about their blood test showing as positive to try to get one of them to talk uh, they 
then uh, they isolate one of the kids, like clearly the most actory of the three kids, <laughs> like the one who in his audition clearly proved he could act a little bit. Uh, they isolate him and do a, this huge farce thing with a giant needle uh, to try and get the kid to talk. And of course, he folds and snitches immediately and turns out it was spot remover that they were using. Uh, the kid in question here, Bo, is played by actor Will Rothar, who appears in stuff like Battle Los Angeles, Kingpin, and the delightfully schmaltzy Jack Frost. Michael Keaton, right? That's my, is yep. that Michael yeah. Keaton? Yeah. Talk about Uncanny Valley, that fucking movie. Like, late 90s CGI, like, fuck me. Oh, my God. I have not seen it probably since the yachts. <sighs> You're it's, not missing anything. Yeah. Like I said, it's just... It's sentimental pap, but uh, we then uh, go see Carter going up to Peds looking for Rena, uh, and he decides that he would rather get his dick wet than have principles uh, because he uh, 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 ren- uh, <laughs> reneges uh, uh, on the whole uh, "you're too young for me, bro." Daniel, I mean no. that's what's happening here. Yes, yeah, he's got a point. I the know. man is prioritizing the wetness of his dick over the Stop. the quality of his principles. Stop describing it that way, please. <laughs> I can't. Just because you're right doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> and then he turns around and asks her out for lunch. And there it is. We we solved all the world's problems right there. <sighs> we just made them worse. Yeah, honestly, I just, th- this is maybe where, you know, if there is a God, he looked at us and was like, you know, we should we should just call it. We should just shut you it know, down. You know, this, I just, this, I don't know why this made me think of this, but we haven't seen Dale in a while. This is a Dale move. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yes, I guess I would rather see it applied to, and I guess maybe the, the, the reasoning behind why you wouldn't do it is because they, they, last time we did see Dale, it was him doing this with Lucy. It was kind of the same thing, but yeah, I would much rather see Dale in this role than Carter. Uh, we also see Cleo asking Benton what the hell happened with the old woman and Benton trying to do his best to, you know, assuage her concerns and be like, this was not your fault. This was, you know, whatever. And this was, this was the cop's fault and yada, 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 whatever. More to come on all of that. Let's go back over the trauma room though. Laura needs to get to her gynecologist for her eggs to be harvested. And apparently she only has like two hours left to get them done. Something with a hormone balance. I'm guessing. Sure. But Mark needs, to, but Mark is like, no, we need to give you heparin because you might have had a, a blood clot in your head. That's why you passed out. Yeah. She does not want this. Yeah. We will deal with that in a minute. Um, then we go over. Luca tells Emily. Yeah, Emily. I think. Emily, the young, the young eighth grade mom to be that she is pregnant and she is absolutely glowing and radiant with that news. And he's like, this is a big deal. Like, this is you really need to think about this she goes oh no it'll be fine all my life i wanted a baby it's so Mm. just ugh. i can't imagine how much worse this shit got when 16 and pregnant came out oh yeah oh i'm sure that probably did do a number on that and this was so this was a weird one for me like i watched i mean (laughs) for obvious reasons but uh this was like this was also a weird one from the standpoint of i watched this episode with Jen kind of half paying attention over my shoulder mm-hmm. and this was a scene that she was more paying attention to than some of the others and like part of her this is also the the scene where Luca is like 
go, saying to the girl, like, have you thought about your options? With the, the unspoken implication there being abortion. Like, have you right. have you considered your options in this situation? Mm-hmm. And Jen, to my surprise, kind of spoke up and was like, that's not your job. Like, Jen, Jen immediately spoke up and was like, that's none of your business. That's not your job. Whatever. Blah, 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 blah. And then had a even even wilder take when we get to the mom but i but i sort of got her point by the end of it like i I, it was one of those deals where i had to like pause and be like show your work (laughs) because like i was like need some receipts (laughs) right i I get i get where she's coming i was like how did you get from how did you get from a to b and get seven but like we got there like she explained her her logic and it did make some level of sense especially in like current you know climates and everything but like it was just this was a weird storyline and the way they chose to portray it is even weirder and we love and trust Nurse Jen and know that she's coming from a good place with that. Yeah. But um, then from there, the detective is talking about the shooting with Benton. And um, and this is Kenny talking about the shooting mm-hmm. with Benton. I should clarify, not the detective. My bad. And he's trying to protect his partner from the consequences of the investigation. He's like, you're going to ruin a good cop's life if you answer this wrong. And Benton's like, a woman's dead that shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's not. he's just as not... He's unhappy with this and is, like, clearly, clearly not thrilled. But um, from there we see Mark is trying to get Dr. Alexander on the phone. Laura's gynecologist trying to get her over to county. Um, and they're going to admit Bo, the little edgelord shitfucks, because something is wrong on his actual blood test, which we will find out about shortly. And Luca is talking to Abby about Emily and he asks her, oh, can you talk to the girl? Which I hate when they just have the, the female cast members like, hey, it's it's your job to do the emotional lifting of my job. Can you go right. do this? Like, it always happens in every medical drama. There, It's always like, oh, I don't know how to feelings. Can you, can you go be a role model? And it's like, I get where they're coming from, but also women should not have to do the emotional labor of jobs. Just throwing that out there. <sighs> But then uh, Mark is trying to get a hold of uh, Bo's parents because he's in liver failure and he needs a liver transplant. And he's like, what the hell? And he basically says, like, well, people drink every day. So, you know, huffing solvent should be fine. And Mark's like, this is not drinking. This is so different what you've been doing to your body. He does look like a remarkably healthy a child who's supposedly in supposedly in liver failure yeah like he does and maybe early stage true true and also we get a very small glimpse into why he is the way he is because when mark's talking about getting a hold of his parents he says oh don't bother yeah so yeah i also uh just you reminded me when you were talking about the um them always having the female members of the staff mm-hmm. do the emotional labor type stuff it reminded me of the last time uh that uh, we saw them do that. It was with Chen, who is uh, not in this episode, and I forgot to mention that at the top. So good catch. No Chen this week. So next up, uh, Cleo gets Mark. Laura's crashing. He, he really regrets not using the heparin earlier because she's apparently stroked out. So she has no muscle tone whatsoever, and can't do TPA at this point because the damage has already been done. So very great, very this cool. This just a bummer. With, with a side of like Haldol joke that runs through like yeah <laughs> like I, I, like Malucci we just need you to be a complete fucking idiot because the rest of this episode is just pain sick yeah huge bummer which is like 
somebody in the listener responses refers to this episode as a comfort watch and like i i sort of get it from the standpoint of the malucci through line is kind of like lighthearted and fun but the rest of this episode is a huge fucking bummer so like it is kind of a weird like dichotomy I mean, I guess my comfort watch is all it was all in the family, and that's a and that's a really huge sure. downer. Episode. Yeah, I mean, it, comfort so. watches don't necessarily have to be happy watches, but like my kind of comfort watch is like, um, you know, who's happy now? Like that kind of like where it's just funny all, the whole time, like not necessarily just a huge fucking downer that happens to have this like streak of lightheartedness running through it. I don't know if I have an ER comfort watch yet. The fa- I don't think I've I was going to say the fact that you have to take notes every single week probably prevents you from having any taking any sort of comfort in this show. Like it's just like nom flashbacks every time that I I'm I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think once we're done, I'm probably just going to leisurely set myself down with some popcorn and fucking watch the show just to watch it <laughs> and be able to not sit there and go like just, I'm miming typing for everybody at yeah, home. Yeah. I'm like because like Lizzie, Lizzie's gotten really good at like watching me take notes, like watching my movements mm-hmm. and sensing when I need a pause. Like she'll notice if I haven't stopped typing in a while that I probably am working on getting something really complicated. Yeah. So I pause for ten seconds and let her catch up, and then we're good. But um, I would love, love after this is done, and after like I'm gonna forget all the storylines again anyway. So like I'll, it'll be another fresh rewatch for the third time. <laughs> But um, stay tuned for setting that's... the tone in ER retrospective retrospective where <laughs> no, <laughs> Lauren finally be... gets to go back and watch, but not take notes. Yeah, this will be my um, I will once it's done, I think, watch through and maybe just like live tweet about it and be like, oh, my God, you guys. Yeah. 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 We'll just have you do it through the Twitter account. We'll just have you live. Yeah, why didn't it. you tell me the show is so good? <laughs> like, yeah, what, what the fuck have I been Was watching? Is this but good yes. the whole time? That's absolutely right. And the, the cruel irony of, like we said, me figuring out that I needed to watch twice every week and then not having time to watch twice every week yeah. is the worst monkey's paw ever. Adulthood. Fuck it. Uh, um, but yeah, sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, so I mean, anything to any excuse to yeah. not talk, continue bemoaning this fucking storyline here. But Benton is talking to the detective uh, about the incident from earlier very limited round of questioning like this kind of reminds me a little bit of the um t- throwing it way back to season two shep. when shep killed that guy yep. and yep. then they they had the the carol get questioned and it was like the questions were tailored to get to a certain conclusion kind of had some flavors of that and uh benton you know is pushing back on this whole thing and is like they could have easily wrestled you know rested the gun away from this woman they did not need to shoot her and you know it's it's not great, but more more on that in a bit. Um, we we go over to our other upsetting storyline. Spin the wheel. Which upsetting storyline are we gonna get? Uh, the young woman's the young pregnant woman's mother is here to check on her. And uh, at first, she's not really aware of what's going on, but Luca kind of gets her there by asking some leading questions. And, Which not okay, right? That is sort of going on with Jen's point from earlier. Like you know, it immediately goes into that. And mom immediately flips her shit and bursts into the room and screams at her about getting an abortion and everything like that. And so, like, this was where, like, I sort of was, like, Jen was making her point, And I was like, but, yeah, but she's 14. Like, 
And she's like, yeah, but like you can't force somebody to have an abort. Like at the same by the same token of you can't force somebody to give birth. You can't force somebody to have an abortion either. Like she's already pregnant like that. That that horse is already out of the barn as as the uh, seminal Juno says, that's one doodle that can't be undid. Skillet. (laughs) Oh, God. If delightfully twee were a movie. Um, Okay, I I, yes. (laughs) Juno's, I like Juno. Twee for the sake of Twee. Um, but yeah, like, I, so I sort of understood where she was coming from in that sense of, like, we're already, we're past the point of, like, we can talk our way out of this or we can, like, we can fix this through talking it out. Like, she's already pregnant, so you can't force her to have an abortion. Can't She clearly wants to have a baby. Like, she clearly, and so, like, in the end I got there like I came around to like what she the point she was trying to get at but it's still like something in my like Cro-Magnon caveman brain was like but 14 pregnant no like just could not make those dots connect like just could like that was like this is a child who's gonna be a mother I just mm, I just don't like it like it's a whole thing. Yeah, like most of the Bob- time I don't care when the show like grabs me by the eyeballs and makes me look at something unpleasant. Like most of the time it's like, all right, we need to eat our vegetables and like, you know, like with the, the vaccine stuff or the the antibiotic resistance. But like sometimes when they like grab hold of us and like force us to look at something, I'm like, I don't want to like, I yes, I know these things happen, but don't tell me about it. Like just, you know, let me ignorance is bliss. Uh, but mom here is played by actress Sandra Perpero, who appeared in stuff like CSI, <laughs> The Shield, and NYPD Blue. I had to steer out of this kid somehow. I don't, you know. Uh, and then uh, we cut back over to Stu, who now has a <laughs> laptop that a delightfully 2001 Gateway laptop. I should point out, who they've got to be on borrowed time at this point. Like Gateway as a brand mm-hmm. has got to be on the way out by 2001. Yep. Uh, Rena brought one down for him to use, and he's got the. Uh, is this where he's got the? No, that's this that's later. Li- that's, that's later. Serious. This is where. This is the part where Carter tells him his horrifying story of revenge on bullies. Great. Sprinkle a little. Sprinkle a little bit more childhood trauma on this episode. Why don't you? Absolutely useless story too, and I love how the kids like that's bullshit. <laughs> well, let's go to, to something happier, like a surgery on the OR floor, because Corday and Romano are still in the surgery from hell. And it just keeps getting worse because it turns out they need to do Whipple, which is a five-hour procedure. And uh, Corday really needs a bathroom break because she's very pregnant. And Asher and Romano's like, no, you can't take a bathroom break. What the fuck? I'll just get someone else. I'll just get someone else in here. You, you clearly can't finish. And she and Corday's like, okay, 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 fine. I'll stay in. Shirley, can you please get insert a Foley <laughs> into me because Romano. <laughs> Here's. And also- oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, is this also where they have the pizza and ice cream comment, too, is in this sequence? Uh, it's either here or earlier in the episode when they're scrubbing yeah. in. I think it might be when they're scrubbing in. She mentions she it. Makes, she makes a joke in response to Romano's wisecracks where she's like, well, yeah, I would love some pizza and ice cream. Yeah. Uh, here is where I get to tell my delightfully STT story uh, that only applies to this fucking episode like it would never it would never uh i'm horrified at what's about to come out well it's the only it's the only fucking thing that like like this doing this podcast is the only reason why this ever happened to me so you know we've been very lucky to be able to talk to different people from the show and they've all been delightful in their own ways and it's been a great experience and one of my favorites that we've talked to was dinah linney who of course played Mm -hmm. shirley 
who gets yeah. a lot of FaceTime in this episode. It's great. And we spoke to her, what, Lauren, over a year ago at this point. Like, it's it's it been had, a, it's it's been a while. Been year, year and a half. Yeah. Tops. And so, like, we had spoken to her. I think her interview had already come out by this point. Like, it had been several months since we talked to her. And I was at work one day on, like, a Friday. I was at work one day, and I get a random Twitter DM from Dinah Linney. And I was like, what's this about? And she... <laughs> She asks for my help. Mind you, she was on the show for 15 years, but she asks for my help in finding a scene that she was in where she talks about a Whipple. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. Like, that's weird. Like, whatever. And so, you know, cut to me spending an entire weekend scrubbing through every single episode of ER that Shirley or that Dinah Linney appears in. Uh, and scrubbing through them on my computer until it was just a scene that that Dinah Linney happens to be in, and then listening to the dialogue of that scene to see if a Whipple was mentioned. Uh, and most of her scenes, of course, she doesn't get much relevant dialogue. Like, there's not much of anything. And then it was like, uh, you know, I, I went on and on and on. And, like, mind you, she starts popping up in, what, season one or two? So, like, she, yeah. she starts popping up really early on. So, like, I had a lot of episodes to fucking churn through. And I finally got to this episode, and I scrolled, sc- scrubbed through, and I'm like, ER, or like, OR scene. Shirley's, like, prominently featured. I'm hearing talk of a Whipple. Like, I was like, this is really promising. Like, and so, like, I had this, like, clipped out or whatever, and, like, I sent it off to her. And I was like, I think this might be the one you're talking about. And she was like, mm, no, that's sorry. She was like, at this point, like, she's like, the moment's passed. Like, I don't really care, like, that much. Like, she's like, it's it doesn't matter. And let it go. And, <laughs> but me being me, I had to keep looking for it. I must have watched this scene, like, four or five times, by the way. So, like, when I'm watching this scene in today, when I was do- doing my notes for this episode, I was like, God, I feel like I live this scene. Um, <laughs> but just have the, the warm fuzzy yeah but so like the the funny ending to that story is that um wherever we were at the time uh this happened which i want to say was like somewhere in mid-season five i somehow missed in my scrubbing this particular scene the the scene that she was looking for i somehow had missed it and it was the very next episode that we were covering after she t- <laughs> And so I spent an entire weekend scrubbing through episodes trying to find this fucking needle in a haystack. And it was the very next episode that we were going to be covering anyway. And it's a it's a whole scene where she stops Carter from going into the ER because Romano's in the middle of a Whipple and yada. And the whole thing was like an inside joke between her and her brother. Like her brother was going to be having a Whipple procedure. And she thought it would be funny to send him this video of her talking about Whipples on ER. That's the whole thing. Like that was the whole crux of the 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 bit. But I was just like, what a, what are the odds that like I would spend hours looking through episodes trying to find this one scene, couldn't find it, and then lo and behold, it's oh. the very next episode that we're covering. Well, Daniel, I'll say that kind of shit. The odds get greater and greater every episode we do just because of the nature of the beast. <sighs> but oh. yeah. So, that's my story. Uh, should we go on to the very odds? Um, oh my god in this episode can i can i do this glasses alone uh so Stu is working on the new laptop and talking to two of the girls that malucci had been uh you know checking on earlier and these girls are so 
peak early aughts middle school fashion. Like they nailed it. Ex just all of it is yes. I went to school with so many girls who dressed like this. Um, Those pink glasses are just like all of it. Just all of it. But he is setting up ringtones for the girls. Um, one of them gets Papa Roach on her phone, and she is ecstatic and just says, Papa Roach is the coolest or whatever. And the other one says, do me now, me now, Blink-182. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> my God. The, the bands that are now doing nostalgia tours. like <laughs> these, these are the bands that the kids are into in 2001 absolutely excellent um but then carta asked rena if they can move their meal to dinner because they missed lunch due to all the kids coming in and she says oh i'll just get a happy meal on the way home which i loved it was like i i don't like carter going back on his little arrangement thing but like i'm very here for her indig indignation about the whole thing like mm -hmm. that i'm here for and she says, but, you know, like, I do have a midterm to study for for tomorrow. Maybe you could come over. Whatever. And as as they're having this discussion, he realizes Abby is standing right there next to the stairs. And he gets super awkward about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can we can talk about it and figure something out. Great. And, like, um, Abby then walks away. And he tells Rena that Abby had a thing for him. And he is trying to spare her feelings. And it's at this point that Lizzie crawled out of her own skin, covered her ears, and waited for the scene to pass because she could not handle the discomfort of Carter being a shithead. Yeah, it's... Uh, the, the part that made me do that was when she uttered the phrase, I have a midterm. That was the part where I was like, mm, nope, nope. I've, I've gone back to exactly how I felt at the beginning of this. Like, nope, this is gross and just yeah nope no thank you oh just bleh. um but then mrs howard's uh, wow hold on let me try that again mrs howard's family uh wants to talk to benton oh no and cleo stops to talk to benton and brings up her test results and it turns out that she had been super dehydrated, and that's why she was even more disoriented than she would have been otherwise. And if they had just slapped an IV in her right away, like most ERs do anyway, um, this might not have been a problem. Or even if they had given her a glass of water, but Cleo shotgunned the labs and immediately threw her to Peter because she was too busy to actually, like, deal with it. So Cleo is feeling like it's very much their fault. Mm. It's unfortunate, but things fall through the cracks sometimes. It's not great, though. Uh, Laura's husband is in the ER to visit with Mark, and she's on a ventilator, and he didn't know she was on fertility drugs because she was trying to be an egg donor because someone was willing to buy for uh, willing to buy eggs for eighty thousand dollars, and they were very they have a little store that was very much in debt, and they were about to file for bankruptcy. It was just. So, Oh, so capitalism, a love story. I was going to say it was at this moment that I realized absolutely nobody would want me to pass on my genetics. But there was also a part of you that was like 80 grand though. Like <laughs> exactly. I, well, I, that's what happened first was I was like mm, 80 grand. And then I was like, mm, shitty genetics. Like, Do you want to roll the dice on, the, right? on, on this for 80 I don't know. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I, I might I'm roll the saying, dice. If I filled out a family history, anybody who would be paying that money was like, now nah, we're going to shop around. <laughs> Not fam. You got the wish eggs. 
that is the best way to put it thank uh, you daniel yes i i have the wish of i am the wish of egg oh <laughs> uh, well on that note uh we see rena looking for carter and approaches abby at admit and uh of course you know we have to do the like the wacky sitcom thing here of like where she tries to like let Abby down easy that it's okay that you know her and Carter had a thing and she's not jealous and it's you know whatever I'm like this whole thing just like annoys me uh yeah more more to come on these three uh Luca is giving the young woman an ultrasound and she's reading her horoscopes uh this took me back to being like a 12 year old and reading J14 and being obsessed with the horoscopes and quizzes just yeah total teen girl shit sure yeah uh we find out that her mom was 16 when she was born uh, and she thinks that she's more mature at her age which if you're keeping score at home is probably like 14 uh more max max, yeah well maybe she's held back a year uh you know 14 uh she's more mature than her mom was when she was born and it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah, this is a weird little twist that they decide to throw into this at the end here because she's like, I need to go Luca, apply. Well, well, no, Luca says he's going to send a social worker down to talk to That's her. That's what it is. Meaning, like, about her well-being and everything and, yeah. you know, options. And this is where she responds with what I have written yeah. down. Yeah, and don't they... I'm sorry. To, before I get to the line, don't isn't there a throwaway line from Weaver earlier in the episode that the child is emancipated? There's something about, like, kind of, like, emancipations can happen because of, like, pregnancies are so serious that emancipation uh, can okay. happen, I think, is what So it's it not is. that this specific girl is emancipated. I don't think she is. I think it's that, like, when you're talking about bodily autonomy and, like, no, she needs to have an abortion, that kind of thing. It's like, no, this is the kind of shit why they invented emancipation. Yeah, is like, okay, that's fair. That's that was my understanding of it. But yeah, so then when he mentions the social worker, she then kind of lights up and is like, "Oh, good, I need to sign up anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to get signed up or something to that effect." I need to apply for. Money. I need to apply. Yeah, yeah I, need to apply. I need to apply because. And then he's like, "What are you talking about?" And she says, very kind of nonchalantly, she says that when my friend Gina had her baby, she started getting a check every month, and then she like blows a bubble and goes back to reading her horoscopes. And, like, maybe I'm reading too much into this and being, like, an angry, like, lefty Twitter commenter. But, like, part of me was, like, this is a really weird time to make a point about welfare queens. Like, this is, like, a really weird time to, like, like, this is, like, this feels like somebody trying to make a point about people leeching off the system. And I just didn't love it. I thought it was more a point on... Her ignorance of the system no, and sure. her ignorance of what it really meant to be a mom. Right. And, like, just the world that she's living in where she's like, well, of course it just be paid for because my because my friend Gina. I, I saw yeah. I read it more, like, that way than it's like, hey, let's look at how the system is abused. Yeah, like, that That was my thing. It was, like, it, it read sort of as somebody with an axe to grind about all these damn kids getting pregnant just so they'll, you know, that the government will give them money. And I was like, this feels like a... a solution in search of a problem like this like i like i'm not gonna say that no 14 year old ever gets pregnant in an upsetting circumstance Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's happening on a widespread scale to where you know dudes in their pickup trucks need to be upset about it like i just you know it's it felt like a weird time and a weird detour to make that point but 
mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being too sensitive about it. And uh, Mark goes to check on Laura. The gynecologist still wants to harvest the eggs, and which the husband is not happy about. And she's apparently in her however many years she says of doing this, she's never seen this happen with IVF drugs before. So of course she, this woman must have some rare like enzyme deficiencies or whatever the hell they were talking about. Some rare genetic conditions that would, that would have this happen. And she still wants to do it because, which I mean, this part I could see from her perspective. It's like, okay, the damage has been done. Right. Let me do this. And then this woman, this woman's family can have a nice financial cushion. They will get the $80,000. Right. So, which should cover about two days in the ICU <laughs> right? for this woman. I know. Like, 80000 Woohoo! Now we'll be... For someone who needs 24-hour ventilator care. All right. Yeah. Like, that. that's not going to get them very far, you know? So, like, I, I, it's one of those things where, like, I see both sides. Like, I totally get where the husband's coming from here, but I, I also see where the gynecologist is coming from as well. Because it could, you know, there could be some legitimate, like silver lining or or good outcome all her effort all this woman's efforts wouldn't have necessarily been in vain you know Mm -hmm. but uh our gynecologist here dr alexander she is played by actress terry garber who appeared in stuff like north and south the original run of the tv series dynasty and the soap opera as the world turns and apparently i feel like somebody in our audience is gonna like go to bat for this person and tell me you know what a important figure she is that we're glossing over here because doing like light googling about her there was apparently a point in time where she had a tv guide cover story written about her uh so she was apparently a big deal at one point in time couldn't recognize her from adam at this point for me personally but i'm sure for somebody out there terry garber is like their 80s icon and they're gonna school us on it i always look forward to it uh but then we go to lizzie is sipping apple juice as she's completing the procedure with romano and um they get Eddie all closed up and everything and get him headed over to recovery. And she says she's going to sit and finish the chart for a minute. Everybody leaves the room. She sits down to wrap up the chart and just takes a deep breath and just sighs. And it's such a good, good visual for her. Mm. Um, but then we go over to Carter asking Abby to finish a suture for him. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm still real real messed up about our breakup but i'll get right to it or whatever like she confronts him about the breakup lie and uh she said no uh i actually i told rena that i dumped you and then they have this really awkward you'd never dump me you dump me first <laughs> thing and it's like oh good golly that's we'll, we'll gonna, see about that yeah friendly that's gonna be a whole friendly thing. reminder let's pick at this scab again why don't we a uh, friendly reminder that Carter and Abby was plan A and Carter and I mean, uh, Abby and Luca was just the happy accident that happened along the way that, that changed all their plans and they had to like fix things. So this awkward bullshit, this was like somebody in the writer's room looked at it and was like, this is gold, Jerry. Like, this is what we want to keep pushing. <laughs> hmm. I would ship Carter and Luca before I ship Carter. Gen T, you heard her. Post the post the GIF again. She posts the same Carter and Luke, it's the, the, the playing, playing pool, pool one every time. I know. That's your cue. I know. Um, but then we go back to Laura, and they are harvesting her eggs. And while they're doing it, it's very sweet. The husband is holding her hand and just wants confirmation that she's in no pain. 
but everything is viable and they're successfully harvested. And Mrs. Howard's family is talking to Benton. Apparently this, she wrote children's books and she's had dementia for a long time, but never like this. And this is all really awkward when they're sitting in front of a sign that says winners always use condoms. <laughs> in a yes. in a tic-tac-toe arrangement, like there there's the, the, the condoms are the O's and then there's X's just kind of interspersed throughout and it's just yeah weird messaging the daughter's anyway but the daughter's blaming herself for mom being dehydrated because she thought she couldn't afford a better nursing home and for putting her in the home in the yeah yeah am i reading too much into it that 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 benton is uh reflecting a little bit on the mama benton situation a little bit with this here a little bit like like, because that there's very much the similar situation that what they went through with her. They, you know, had to put her in a home, and she resisted it. And you know, Jackie felt very guilty about it. And like, it just seems like a lot of echoes of of that whole situation, which of course is ancient history timeline wise. So they're not going to bring it up. But like, I feel like that has to be at least part of the thinking for Benton. Uh, but we go back from there. One last little bit of wackety schmackety with Malucci for the episode as he's passed out in one of the exam rooms and Luca is busy putting Dermabond on his hand when Abby walks in to talk to him. Uh, and they just have one more little giggle to close out the episode there. And I love that we get to see the two sides of the ghost of George Clooney in that scene where it's like both the victim <laughs> of and the perpetrator of the latest prank. You love to see it. Uh, Rena and Carter are headed out for the night. Mark stops him and asks him to pitch in with chart reviews, but realizes that Carter's uh, in the process of going to get his dick wet and uh, dismisses him. Stop. I had to get one more. I just slip it in under the tag, much like Carter's about Stop. to. Uh, yeah, so. Lauren has removed her headphones, <laughs> and she's done. Uh, as we all know, a bit is not over until Lauren is disgusted. That is that is the the hallmark true. of when a bit has run its course. You want to put your headphones? No, back carry on. on. Okay. So Lauren's not even putting putting in her headphones for our first and only audio clip, and it's the last scene of the episode. This this episode was really weirdly paced. Everything was like under a minute, and I'm just like, eh, I could I could, but I don't wanna. <laughs> so. Uh, the last scene of the episode is Lizzie is up on her feet and she's catching up with Mark. Randy, can you call up to the OR? Again? Yes. Don't bother. I thought you'd never get out. Neither did I. How are you? If I don't get off my feet, my ankles are going to explode. Oh. Did patient make it? Yeah. How was your day? Usual. You save any lives? I hope so. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Dr. Corday, your dinner has arrived. Nice work, Mom. It's from Robert. Maybe we should have someone taste it first. Oh, I'm so hungry. Pepperoni pizza. And ice cream. Cherry Garcia. Oh, let's go with the ice cream first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had the most difficult case today, and I got through it. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, that's good. Have some. Mmm. Hmm. Now that it's over, I'm thinking, why do I have to prove that a pregnant surgeon can can be competent? I don't know. I mean, I couldn't operate until the day I deliver. But what the hell for? So, 
As of now, I'm officially on maternity leave. I'm going to rest, and I'm going to take care of myself and my baby. Oops. No napkins. Mark, can I just sleep here? I don't think I have the strength to move. I don't think I have the strength to carry you. <laughs> Nice little licensed music outro there. Uh, ice cream eating noises. <laughs> uh, and yet you enjoy ice cream. Hmm, curious. And yet I participate in society. I know. But I'm very intelligent. Cherry Garcia is one of my favorite flavors ever. Yeah. Nope. Of course you don't like it. Yeah, because I have, you know, taste. Okay. Uh, but at least uh, at least this is one of those little glimpse, uh, you know, crack the door open moments with Romano where you do get to see a slight teeny tiny little bit of the humanity that uh, exists somewhere deep, deep down inside that bald little head of his. Uh, so, you know, it's a, a fine ending, I suppose, to uh, a, an episode that, like Lizzie said earlier, is very weirdly paced and like is 90% huge bummer and 10% fun Malucci wackiness. And like, I think it's far and away the weakest episode of the season thus far. Like, I, yeah, and, this is the only one that I, that I flirt with maybe giving it like a 6.5. Yeah, like I, I really do think it's like pretty mediocre overall. Like it's, it, I could see why somebody might enjoy it from like the, the, the Malucci stuff really is like, cause that's fun. But I just like none of the. Th and Corday learns a valuable lesson. Yeah, no, I will say that. Like Corday, uh, if I'm picking like a, a an episode MVP, I think I would give it to either Lizzie or as you know we'll get into it in the the listener stuff. You know, fuck it, give it to Shirley. Like Shirley actually is like a fun component to this episode, but like so much of the other stuff in this episode either doesn't work or is just like upsetting and like not in a not in a make you think kind of way, just in a like. Just know why do I have to watch this? Yeah, of? like it's like they don't really like make any like grand proclamations about uh, the Benton stuff. Like it just kind of is like, hey, doesn't this suck? And then like the the random pregnant fourteen year old, it's like, hey, isn't this awful? Like there's just really no like lessons learned here. Like nobody actually does anything of no. Like Carter goes back on his whole principal take from last episode or two episodes ago, whatever that was, where he's like, I'm not going to date a 19 year old. And then he's like, actually, I think I will like, this is more, this, this to me felt like an early season filler. Episode. Yes. Yes. Much more of those like weird tonal shifts that like, don't really make sense. And nothing feels fleshed out. Everything just feels like everything feels like things that were put up on a, on a whiteboard of like, we're going to have this storyline, this storyline, this storyline, and this storyline go. And, like, no one actually bothered to connect them together in any sort of, like, coherent way. And it's just kind of a weird stumble in an otherwise, like, really excellent season thus far. But, like, if you're going to have be 17 episodes deep in a season before you get your first stinker, I guess that's pretty good. Fair enough. Lauren, any thoughts? It happened. It was fine. Seven. Cool. I think I'm going to settle on a 6.75 because I can't decide <laughs> between... 6.5 and 7. Are we on the are we on the games rating scale where 6 is actually the lowest score? <laughs> like where anything lower than 6 well, and it didn't actually come out? Oh no, there's going to be some true yeah, stinkers where I'm probably going to give like 4s and 5s out yeah, in later seasons. We're we're getting there, but this 
this even with some of the loose ends is still pretty solid yeah. Yeah. For, just a, for just a general watch. But Lauren, what the listeners have to say about it, specifically Maul. We want to start off with Maul, yeah. who, who I have issued a formal apology to on the uh, Discord. Uh, at Basic Maul says, this fucking episode, it's what us kids would call my comfort episode. I love it so much, basically all for Elizabeth Romano and Shirley. Shirley is the MVP of this episode and is my vote for season MVP. First Corday asks for a back rub and then asks her to put in a foley and she just goes along with it. The woman deserves a raise and I'm so happy she was featured for a good bit in this episode. Everything with that through line for the episode is just perfect. And the ending where Mark and Elizabeth have their pizza and ice cream. Your honor, I love them. I can't wait for them to get married because everything goes perfectly. They're happy and nothing bad ever happens to them again and they get to live happily ever after. Absolutely right, Maul. Totally fine. Uh, Grace B says three things. One, Officer Grant, a.k.a. Roger, with a D, for the five other listeners who have seen the newsroom. Okay. I've seen the newsroom, Uh, and I don't know what she's talking about. I've seen, like, two episodes of the newsroom, and I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, Two, possibly my favorite chapter of one of my favorite fanfics takes place in this episode. It's the second in a three-part series, and it's called The Difference by Madrigals. You can find it on fanfiction.net. Yes, I am an internet ancient, apparently. Fight me. Because it's an AU, not a lot that happens in the actual episode makes it into the chapter. But Dave still gets stuck with Haldol, and so watching this episode made me smile extra. Three, speaking of, I have no sympathy for Malik, Malucci, or Yosh. Luke is on shift, and you've brought Abby in to deal with a dangerous patient. She called for Haldol, and then the... And then the patient attacked her. Croatian Clooney already committed manslaughter in her defense. Of course he gave the Haldol first and asked questions later. What did you think was going to happen, you numpties? Plus 1,000 points for using the phrase, you numpties. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each weekend. For only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. Two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews and over 55 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. A free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, which Lauren made me watch Practical Magic for. <laughs> oh, that should be up on Patreon. That will be up already. T- yeah, it should be up on Patreon by this point. Uh, and also, who's fixed of those? Where Lauren reads us some ER fan fiction. Maybe some Carter and Luca fan it's fiction. It's all explicit <laughs> or sad. It's all either Africa episodes or them just fucking. There's no in-between. Or them fucking in Africa. Ah, There's there it no, is. There is no just fluff. It's all smut. Well, there's, well, there might be some fluffing going on. Good God. <laughs> We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sign the Tone Podcast. And we are at Sign the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sign the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at besides burying your head in the sand? Uh, folks can find me on my personal Twitter, freaking out about all of my neuroses at lowbob92345. What, what is Twitter for, if not for that? If not for that, 
Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at randomgamer. That's G A M 3 R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.